You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. You wouldn't believe, you would not believe how old this candy is, Cassie, honestly. <laughs> it is not fresh. Still good. But yeah, the kids take it, so. I, I'm trying to lead out in that, and I, it's not something I'm dropping them off to do, but I, I'm participating with them, and I'm hoping that they catch the contagious joy from getting to serve others. Adam and I used to go to this counselor that whenever we would express, okay, I see something this way, and Adam sees something this way, the counselor would say, okay, Chelsea, what scriptures are guiding your thoughts? And then he would say, Adam, what scriptures are guiding your thoughts? And it turned out, of course, that both of us were trying to do something that was pleasing to God, and that helps create some unity and some peace, knowing that we're, we're both trying. We may just see it differently, and I think there's a lot of ways to find a compromise. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Mrs. Cassie Bryant. How you doing today, Cassie? I'm good. I'm so glad we're here. No, I'm glad to be back with you, too. This is going to be a great episode for us. We've never done a Q&A, and I have so many Qs and so few As. Same. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why we brought uh, my lovely wife on, my brilliant, yes. genius, question-answering wife, Chelsea Griffin. How you doing today, Chelsea? You know me. I'm on top of the world. Amen. That's true. You know, Chelsea is the only member of the Family Discipleship Podcast recording team that received a shout out in the Q&As. The only one. We got somebody said, Chelsea Griffin is my hero as their question. That was the only question. <laughs> was it me? No, it wasn't you. You'd be surprised to find out it wasn't you, Cassie. I know you could was have. Was it you? But, man, no, I wish I would have thought of it. That would have been brilliant, but nope. <laughs> no, it was it was my awesome college buddy. Uh, and she's she's the best and we worked at camp together and then ministry has taken us both different places so I don't ever get to see her but it was sweet to see a little comment oh, I love that what's up Emily you're my hero too Chels what's up Emily lots of shout outs in this episode Emily thanks for thanks for listening to your old friend Chelsea Griffin there you go <laughs> who she probably knew as Chelsea Brown huh probably true story true story well question asked and answered Chelsea Griffin is all a <laughs> hero so one down. Uh, just listeners, this is our first Q&A episode as a podcast. We'll have two this season, one right now, and we will try to get to a lot of our questions that you turned in. Many more questions turned in than we will have time to answer. Uh, but we will have another Q&A episode at the end of this season in December, and it plans to be likely something we'll do going forward is just every once in a while kind of stop down and answer some questions wherever we can. So that's that's the point of a Q&A episode. That's why we're here. It's what we want to do. So uh, let's just, I'm going to kick us off with an easy one because it's the one that we got the most. We probably had four or five different people ask us about Halloween, All Ooh. Hallows Eve, and, and tis the season. I mean, the, the, this episode will drop. Did you just try to haunt me, Cassie Bryant? Was that a ghost sound? Like okay. Yeah. I don't know if I liked it or not based on whatever your answer is going to be. How do you guys, as uh, Christian moms, how do you uh, advise families as they're thinking about Halloween and what their family will do around that holiday? Well, don't spend too much money. It's probably where I'd start. <laughs> Just, I think there's a lot of faithful ways to think about and to execute Halloween. Um, I've seen people do Reformation Day celebrations since that is also observed, like when Luther nailed his theses on the... On the doors of Wittenberg? Yes, the doors of Wittenberg. Somebody grew up Lutheran. Rut row. Cats out of the bag. <laughs> uh, I go to every seen... Halloween party dressed as Martin Luther 
Yeah. I'm not surprised. <laughs> and with a hammer. You're just like a one costume wonder. Yeah. And then I've seen people celebrate All Saints Day and All Hallows Eve. And we kind of lean into Halloween. We have fun with it. And um, we, uh, we've we hosted, we've done a couple things with like our neighbors. And this year we're doing a big block party and just using it as an opportunity to engage our neighbors and their kids. And we're going to serve dinner and dessert and have fun at like bobbing for apples. And then we're going to all trick or treat together and hang out. And so um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, Ooh, I, I hot sport. That's a that's a hot take there, Cassie. Well, I'm She's sorry. It's not hot. the first hot take I have. So <laughs> <laughs> my I will I'd like to share that my oldest two daughters have chosen to be literary characters, which I think is so fun. The oldest mm. is gonna be Joe March from Little Women. And my middle is Lucy Pevensey from Chronicles of Narnia. Nice. And then look, the look youngest, at Cassie, in these humble brags about how I know the youngest is gonna be a husky. She wants to be a dog. <laughs> like a dog or a chubby kid. Oh, no, yeah, like a dog. Okay. Oh, okay, good. Sorry, edit that out unless you don't. Uh, <laughs> unless you don't. So, wait, so Cassie, I have a question. So if your daughters came back, though, and they said, hey, I want to be the White Witch from Narnia, or I want to be one of the demon creatures who kills Aslan, do you think you'd have the same, like, it's all innocent fun? No, I'd say we don't follow the father of lies. We're going we're gonna to be something worth you know, replicating. We're going to be something worth, that's admirable. So, yeah, we've not... We've not leaned. Oh, you know what? They were all dragons one year. How do oh. we feel about dragons? Well, uh, that's another question we're not going to get into right now. I've got a lot of dragon opinions. We're not going to drag them into this They were like neon pink and green and blue dragons. It was cute. They were cute. Was it? Yeah. Chelsea, how about you? Well, I just like to give a pro tip here about Halloween. Uh, one, just to answer, we also do, uh, we think it's fun and we always do something with our home group usually. So we like trick or treat or have a little like get together with our home group. It really just gets people out into the front yard and with neighbors. And we love that. And I'm, I love candy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's my my pro tip is that uh, our kids often forget about the candy they've obtained from either Valentine's, Easter, stuff like that. And it's tucked away in this candy cabinet in our house. Well, then on Halloween, instead of buying new candy, we put it all out on the porch um, for the trick-or-treaters. So that we the just- The old Valentine's know, candy. That's awesome. Whatever it is. You would, believe, put, you would not believe how old this candy is, guest. honestly. <laughs> it is not fresh. Still good. But yeah, the kids take it, so- Still good. There was a year we took all of our Halloween candy to Target, and I told them they could trade it in for a $10 toy. And we just told the Target guy to put it in their break room. Nice. Because for me, the sugar is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Halloween, um, unlike a lot of holidays, let me say this. If you do not want to celebrate Halloween at all, I fully support you. Yeah. You do not need to feel any pressure. If you think Halloween is associated so much with evil and devil worship that you're like, my family will have no part of it, I support you. It's mm-hmm. why my family no longer eats at Torchy's Tacos. Like, we're not going to support something that's devil and hell themed. We're out. And so I, I'm for that <laughs> with, with, with Halloween as well. If that's where you land, then that's fine with me. If, however, you're like, as a family, I think this is when uh, all of our neighbors are going to come to our house. We have an opportunity to kind of greet them one at a time slowly and meet them. And you want to use that as Christian evangelism or just uh, being hospitable, then I am all for it. And there's nothing in my mind wrong with having a fun costume or a funny costume, getting a family picture on Halloween. I I love the opportunity to dress up in costumes. I'll tell you that I think Halloween has led to some really great relationships in our neighborhood. We have Mm -hmm. our neighborhood, uh, when it comes to kids, is mostly refugee kids from Syria, Afghanistan, and Africa. And when they see kids going door to door to get candy, they, they run over to our house. They ring the doorbell. 
And uh, the first time they did it, it was so adorable. They just said uh, Halloween with like a question mark on the end. <laughs> they have no costumes. They have no bags. Uh, Chelsea has several years gotten them bags so they could keep going door to door. And then because they don't really understand the concept, they come back to our house uh, several days in a row looking for more candy. They just keep <laughs> coming back. And But it has built a reputation in our house as a safe place to go ring the doorbell for the refugee kids in our neighborhood. Yeah. And now they come by all the time, ask for a drink of water, hang out on our porch, come play inside there. It's uh, led to some great neighborhood stuff. So let me say this. I, I do think it's a matter of conscience. I think it's not um, foolishness necessarily. But if you're using uh, Halloween as an excuse to drink too much as an adult, mm. to dress uh, more scandalously in a less modest manner than you should, or if you're in any way celebrating evil or gore, I am against it. Uh, hard <laughs> pressed against it. All right. Oh, yeah. I want to go on record. Yeah. <laughs> Ch- Chelsea, you didn't like that answer? No, I'm just loving it. Uh, I'm just glad that, you know, your stance is finally out there that you're formally against gore, drunkenness, evil. and yep. uh, dressing like a. Oh, I can't. What can I say here? Uh, um, and <laughs> dressing like a person who is unkempt. Uh, dressing like um, scandalously. How about that? Scandalous. That's the word I was using. Looking yes. Like, yeah, definitely yeah. started yeah. with. Like S. on the tag of my last year's Halloween costume, it's, it just says scandalous. And so I don't wear that anymore because Chelsea's convicted me. And so I'm done with costumes like that. Right. All right. Well, speaking of motherhood. Speaking of Halloween, here's a great question from our friend Meg. I thought this was going to be so good for you, Cassie and Chelsea, because you're both working moms. So how do you balance working and motherhood? And the question also ends with a couple emojis, heart, smiley face. So that's for y'all. But oh. how do you balance working and motherhood? Uh, you'll notice I I made a noise when you said the word balance, because I'm pretty sure the that balance is kind of like a unicorn. You're chasing a unicorn. I think it's I think it's a unicorn for stay-at-home moms too, honestly. Like I don't know that mm-hmm. like I think that we picture this like perfect you know like some mom out there is living this perfectly balanced life with a balanced diet and exercise and their children are perfect. I don't know. It just to me it feels like you're setting yourself already up with this expectation of balance that is just not even a real thing. I'm not saying you can't have healthy rhythms in a life. I just think, I don't know what it is we're trying to reach for when we say balance. As for answering her actual question about being a working mom, I mean, Chelsea and I, we have very different working lives, right? Even our schedules are very different. Like, Mm -hmm. so I, it's just so different for each mom. Some moms choose to work. Some moms have to work. Uh, some moms love their jobs. Some moms hate their jobs. Right. Um, and so I don't know that there's any one way to answer this question other than I would hope that all working moms are at a place in their relationship with God where they are trusting them with their career and uh, with their days and that they are able to um, honor God by creating very healthy like work-life balance as much as they can. But even yeah. that, I mean, even that could be a luxury. Some moms don't even have that, you know? Yeah, I love that you bring that up because sometimes in our in our stream of a lot of affluence in America, people think that working mom is like a choice that some moms make that ignores and overlooks their children for the sake of mm-hmm. some other occupation. When a lot of working moms in America work because otherwise there would be no food on the table yeah. and there would be no place to live. Mm-hmm. So it is a necessity in some respects for some families to be able to say, mom has to have a, a uh, it needs to be a wage earner in order to provide for the family. Uh, Chelsea, what about you? Well, first I'll just say that um, I love my job. My job is, it's a passion, it's a ministry, it's a joy. Um, 
to serve women and families in our community. So for those of you that don't know, I'm a labor and delivery nurse, and um, I just enjoy that so much. And I, I hope that it serves my boys well to see that mom has a skill and that mom serves and that mom's a helper. You know, I love also about my job that if I need to work less, I can work less as a nurse. And if I need to work more, I can work more. And if I'm hearing from my kids that they're not seeing me enough or something like that, then I'm happy to make those adjustments. I think just with work or anything, right, we hold everything with an open hand to say, like, my faith is first, right? Uh, what's God asking me to do? And and uh, my family is a priority, right? And so I love my job, but if I needed to give it up in order to serve my family, I would, you know? Yeah. There, there's no perfect balance, but we can all try and strive to live and work and serve our families in a way that honors and pleases God. Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm working because I want to sustain a lifestyle that is not healthy for our family, then that, then there's questions for me and my community around me to start asking mm-hmm. of the Bryant household. What I love about the answers you guys are giving is that it really is focused on like what's what serves your family. I feel like some of the reason though that women feel bad about working is because of the the judgment, be it real or not real, that they see yeah. in other people about their choices. Can you speak to that for a second? If there's a mom who's feeling like, man, I yeah. I want to work, but um, I feel judged by it, or I feel guilty about it, or I don't want to work and I feel guilty that I'm not at home. That kind of that guilt either way. Yeah. Mm. First, I just I just want to set some people free, guys. If if you struggle with uh, judging others, um, I just want to set you free from that heavy burden that God has called you to steward your life and your time, but you don't have to steward anybody else's. So if that's you out there and you have um, some judgment in your heart towards working moms or towards moms that don't work, I just want you to just surrender it and say, Lord, you are a good and righteous judge, and I don't have to judge anyone. Um, but if you're judging yourself, remember the Bible says we're not really fit to do that either. That's right. Um, and so if you feel like someone out there is judging you, or they literally are, and most working moms in the church can testify to some some sort of negativity they've received. Um, it may be real, but we have to remember that um, our work, our the way we serve our family, that's unto the Lord. So if there's someone in my life that just wants to say something hateful because I work outside the home, that's not really something I have to entertain mm-hmm. or to deal with. That's that's for them to deal with. That's in their heart. But like Cassie said, you know, if my, my community is around me f- for the very purpose of, of helping me with convictions, right? And so yeah. if I'm overworking, trying to make more money than we need because uh, I'm focused on money and I'm, I'm getting really distracted by it, then I hope people in my community would say something. I was going to share one of my like favorite working mom moments was coming back to work and Adam was my boss after my third child was born. I'm coming back from maternity leave and I'm like at my wit's end. And I just remember telling him, I have no capacity. I don't know if I can do this job. And him telling me that our workplace was better because I was a mom and because I was coming back into it. I just think about like, that's not just true for the church. I think about like the labor and delivery wing of your hospital where Chelsea Griffin works. Like if you aren't there, then there's a void. Like your coworker, they're missing out on something. And so you get to contribute to a workspace as a Christian mother That's right, in a yeah. way that like not many others can contribute. And so I think the workforce needs Christian mothers in it mm-hmm. to, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, to lead, to nurture, to uh, just offer their gift sets and their season of life. And um, anyway, and so I just, I felt only ever encouraged uh, in, 
and I'm in a Christian world. And granted, that could be because I'm in ministry and people are like, well, yeah, well, you're in ministry and God's called you to that. But I've seen people not in ministry offering the same type of thing and being told the same type of thing in their workplaces. Well, I'd say the other side of the coin is just as true, Cassie, as valuable as you are to the church as a mom. It is valuable to your daughters to see the way that you work and contribute, to see mm. that you uh, use the gifts God has given you to bless others can be a blessing to kids. And that is not an advocacy to say, like, mm-hmm. the best mom is a working mom. That's not what I'm saying. No, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of choices that can be made, there, and they are all wisdom choices as it fits your situation. I would say the best answer to this question is a case-by-case answer to this question, yeah. is if you really want to know if working and being a mom is good for you and for your family, then I would get counsel. Because I can't just tell you yes or no. I don't know. But I can tell you that if you are a working mom, you can... You can be a blessing to your family and to your workplace, absolutely. And if you're a mom that stays home full-time, it does not deprive your kids of something to say, well, if you were a working mom, they'd see something special in you. No, there is something beautiful in both, and it is a wisdom decision to make with your community and the people around you, and as it determines your own family. Not only that, but different seasons may call for different things. Chelsea has worked full-time, she's worked part-time, and she's worked not at all, and she's gone to school at different points during her marriage. And no point where I go, well, that was the sweet those were the glory days, you know, mm-hmm. where she was really momming it up. You know, I don't think there's ever been that kind of season. It's always just like, this is, this is where we're at right now. Yeah. All right. I would love, this is a question from our friend uh, Jillian. She says, I would love to hear the team suss out, which bonus point for using the word sus. <laughs> I'd love to hear the team suss out how we can help our children discover the joy in serving others. So we're talking about you guys mm. working, being out there serving others. How do you get your kids to discover the joy, whether it's in the church or other otherwise, of serving other people? Man, joy is contagious. So if they're watching you do it, with a glad heart and they're watching, then I think that spills over into their lives. And so I would ask like, where are you um, serving with a joy, like a gladness of heart and, and joyfulness and how can you invite your kids into that? Yeah. That's good. Maybe that that's too easy. I don't know, but no, that's, that's how right. Set an example. So like for, for, I was gonna say, for example, is like being in children's ministry, my kids, they are, just now getting to the age where they want to be with me when I go into a nursery. And we'll like, I've started to schedule like where there are Sundays where it's like, okay, today we're going to get to spend some time in with the babies and in with the toddlers. And, uh, and then we're starting to, I'm trying to schedule with my team a day where they've got toddlers and babies, like my staff team. And I would love for them to come over and drop their kids off on a Saturday for a date night. And we get to serve those families by having me and my daughters get to watch them on a Saturday morning. And so those are just some ideas of like, I, I'm trying to lead out in that, and I, it's not something that I'm dropping them off to do, but I, I'm participating with them, and I'm hoping that they catch the contagious joy from getting to serve others. Sure. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say is um, looking out for how your your kids are wired yeah. and really encouraging those gifts. So I'll tell you, one of our sons is extremely tenderhearted. He's, um, he will weep with those who weep, and he is, he is such a blessing to families mm-hmm. with very small children, um, and he will just play with them and love on them. I mean, he's a nine-year-old boy that loves to hold a baby and, and uh, feed it and you know stuff like that. He's just so tender. And so to build that up in him, to say, like, you were so helpful today um, with that family, yeah. and you were such a blessing. And then my oldest son, Oscar, he, um, mentally, like he's such a whip, like his memory is so good. He's just, he's so capable. And so recently we were down a volunteer at check-in for kids ministry. And so I had to put him in a, like in a spot where I couldn't be with him. Like he was like a real volunteer, you know? 
And they said he did such a great job because he knows people's names. He could do something efficiently um, and and do it well. And that's that's what he likes. That gives him joy. So finding something to say, like, you are so good at this. Like, look how God yeah. made you. And then look how that blessed other people. Your mm-hmm. What you are blessed with blesses someone else. And I hope that, you know, was affirming to them and built them up. That's really great. I was thinking the same thing, Chelsea, that we've we found ways that our, our sons are wired and found ways for them to serve, to use that to serve the Lord. The, in addition, though, and this is maybe pulling in a little bit different direction, but not a wrong direction, we've also called our kids to serve in ways that challenge them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, at times, gone and served as a family at things like, uh, here in town, we have a place called the Northwest Community Centers from Northwest Bible Church. And it's focused on refugee populations in our neighborhood. And we will go and our kids will have to run games with kids or uh, hand out resources to families. And it is not something that they woke up on Saturday morning and said, I want to do that. That's how I'm wired. Yeah. They went, wait, why are we doing this? And we said, this is what this is what Griffins do. This is what Christian families do. We go and we find those who need and we find uh, any place where we have and it is needed and we go and serve. Yeah. And we also want to create opportunities for our kids to be served. I think they have that a lot in their household, but where we point out people who are serving in the church or people serving in the community and say, man, that that man, that woman, they are serving you right now. And so we acknowledge those things as well. I think that builds a culture of awareness of serving and of your role in it. So challenging them and figuring out how they are wired, I think is really good. All right, I want to get some some big, some what I would call doozies here. We got a lot of good questions. Doozies. Some doozies right here. All right, here's a parent asking a biblical wisdom. So maybe just straight up from the Bible. How do you move on from a hard discipline moment when you may have done it wrong? How do you move oh, on from there. a hard discipline moment when you may have done it wrong? Oh, the Griffins have never been there. So Cassie, could you speak to that? Oh, let me lead with my humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes, I've been there. So I'll say what I've done in the past. I get some space to get on my knees and to ask forgiveness from God first and just to admit that I've done something wrong and have just asked for the courage to confess that. And then I've asked for God to heal what what my words, even in my confession apology to my children, might not be able to heal. And then I will gather either the one child or all three if it's I've yelled at all three of them or done something, you know, to all three of them. Usually it's some sort of like harsh, like you're grounded for life, you know, and I walk away (laughs) Um, and I just tell them, I I confess and I apologize and I tell them no one should speak to them that way. Yeah. Um, And I ask for their forgiveness. And, you know, the other, this happened a few weeks ago, actually, and it had been a long time. It had been a season uh, because I've struggled with anger historically and it had been a season since I had had to ask for their forgiveness. And I had to ask a few weeks ago and one of my daughters said, it's okay, mom. And I was like, it's not okay. That's the thing. It's not okay. And I don't want you to ever think it is okay. And I, and I need you to offer forgiveness and also acknowledge that like, that should not have happened. I should not have yelled. And, and that, that's what, that's what we do. And I don't say, but if you hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have done that. I mean, like, right. I it I'm the adult in the room, you know, and my husband will remind me that often. Like we're the grownups in the room, so let's act like grownups. You know, we don't need to blame our kids for our behavior. So, um, that's what I do. That's what we do. That's a great answer. Anything to add to that, Chelsea? No, I like it. Repent, confess, ask for forgiveness. All of that. It's good. Yeah. 
I was going to say, if the, the question is biblical wisdom, honestly, the verse that comes to mind for me first mm. is the gross one that my my sons love so much, which is, uh, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to its folly. Mm. It was just a proverb to say, it's foolishness to repeat the same mas- mistake over and over again. And as parents, we often feel that we are making the same mistake over and over again. That's good. So look at every one of those opportunities as a um, chance that God has given you to grow to say, next time I'm in this moment, I pray that I am more sanctified than I was the last time. That But degree by degree, uh, which is the way uh, Paul talks about our sanctification, yeah. I might be increasingly like Jesus. So that the next time, uh, Chelsea and I were talking about this yesterday. So the next time I step on a Lego in the dark while I'm barefooted, instead of crying out, even if it's just in my heart, a little bit of how dare you do this to me, that I might in a more sanctified version of myself say, of course you had a Lego out. Of course it was on the floor. And of course I stepped on it because you are a boy who loves to play with toys and we're not always great at putting everything away. So let me, in my own heart, check my own spirit that I might not have this justified rage, uh, but uh, discover a more sanctified version of myself. Now, that's a hard thing to just aim for, and it's an easy thing to feel guilty over. I would yeah. say similar to Chelsea's answer earlier, we are more free than we often let ourselves feel, because in Christ, there is freedom. It's why he came, to set us free, including from the shame and guilt that comes from our difficult moments. But every Christian is called, like Cassie talked about, to repentance when we see ourselves falling short. Amen. And I would say if it's happening more regularly, if it's happening often, to ask for help. Like don't, A, otherwise, I mean, I think the enemy wants us to isolate for like we're the only ones that are struggling with sin in our parenting. And so to encourage, like to ask the community of believers around us to help us and to pray for us and to hold us accountable. And then the only other thing I would say is that we um, interviewed Justin Whitmill early about habits in the household. And I truly think that his chapter on discipline and some of his encouragement about liturgies and just kind of rewriting some of the things, like the way that we think whenever there's those discipline moments and the, the, we want to respond in anger um, is was so helpful. It's so helpful for me. And I think that if you if you haven't read that, whoever asked this question, um, and if you, or you haven't listened to that podcast episode, I think that would be a good place to start as well. That's good. And I think the older your kids get, if you're dealing with teenagers, you can invite them into the discipline conversation more than you did when they were younger. So if you have a discipline mistake, you do not like the way it went, you can not only repent, but you can ask them, hey, when this happens, what could I do that you feel like you would be receptive to? Or how do you wish that would have gone? Uh, How could mom or dad speak to you in a way that you're going to hear me? Because I care too much about you to say nothing. And uh, I know that I get carried away because, uh, man, emotionally, I feel either accused or I feel uh, helpless or I just feel so upset or I just haven't handled it well. So uh, talking to an older kid about how, how can you help, how can I help you in that moment? Like, what's the, what's the best version of this, in your opinion, next time? Hey, friends, it's March, and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map, 
and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order. Hey listeners, we live in a world where anxiety, depression, and weariness seem to be the basic descriptors of our lives. For many of us, our calendars and our plates are overfull, yet our lives still lack joy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus invites you to have true and abundant joy that's only found in Him. In John 15, Jesus reveals three very surprising pathways to finding this type of joy. You can discover these pathways in the new book, Overflowing Joy, by author and Bible teacher Tara Dew. This is available at LifeWay.com, and you can save 40% off with the code JOY40. Again, that's J-O-Y, the number four, the number zero, at LifeWay.com. The new book is Overflowing Joy by Tara Dew. Check it out. All right, here's another uh, big question. And Chelsea, this is one that you and I have dealt with many times. So tons of empathy for this. This, this mom says, helping my kids navigate big emotions and a tendency towards negativity, says her son is naturally negative. How do you help a kid who's dealing with that kind of pessimistic negativity? When I first read this, I thought that you wrote it, Adam. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, because oh. I do need help. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, our family has a has an Eeyore, and I relate to him. And we say that in the least insulting way. Like we yeah. love this kid, but he does tend towards it. Doesn't he can have the best day ever, and something very small will be like, yep. this is just the worst. Yeah. Well, I re- I relate to him in that like I wouldn't call myself a pessimist, but more of a realist. And um, <laughs> that's what pessimists call themselves. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like no, I'm just yeah. grounded in reality, and I see this like it is. Uh, but I'll say uh, one thing is you know uh, the person asking this question is kind of expressing the difficulty of finding it difficult to relate. Right. The, this mom is saying you know I'm I am an optimistic person, and it's. There's, it seems like there's some frustration and uh, just remembering, you know, we don't have to try to change our kids and to kind of continue to get to know your child and observe the way that they're wired in, in terms of like the cynicism, right? Because uh, our world needs all kinds of people. And so there's some ways that people are wired that really is a gift, but it's difficult to see because sometimes within our own families, it feels like if, if my spouse or my children were just more like me, that would be better. Um, and, you know, not always necessarily the case. So, you know, we seek to help our our son who operates a little bit like that. We really seek to help give him perspective. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think I've, we've been really successful, Adam. So I don't know if I'm a good person to answer this. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think that uh, in terms of the big emotions, yeah. I thought uh, David Thomas's book yeah. was really yes. helpful, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys. And uh, especially the ways he connected it to the emotional life of Christ, the spectrum of emotions we see in Christ, and that Christ is is without sin, but still experiences all the emotions, the anger, the the hurt. Um, So anyways, Adam, what do you think? 
Well, I think something from his book actually was really helpful for me in dealing with these kind of things, which is having your child help you name the emotion they're actually experiencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that I think the first step, and I'll come back to that idea I just shared just a second. The first step would be, I've noticed something in my own heart that is not beautiful when I see our son or any child being unnecessarily negative. Like their lack of gratitude yeah. eats at me. Their lack of um, appreciation feels insulting to me, like I have done something. And so when I do have a kid with big emotions, or when we have a kid who's negative, um, when he's moping or pouting, I see something in me that needs to be addressed as well. Same. And yeah. so I want to deal with that first, foremost, and probably in front of my child. Hey, I want you to, I want you to know, like, I know you're being negative right now. Yeah, I don't think you have a reason to be, but I'll tell you, before we deal with that, I'll tell you, there's something in me that feels very negative about your negativity. And so I'm sorry, I need to own that. I don't know why this happens, but in my heart, when I see you be so negative and so, um, when I see you pout, when I see you instead of grateful, when I see you moping, something in me feels this like conflict, this kind of inner turmoil. I don't like the way I feel when I see that in you. And if any of that comes out at you, I'm sorry. Now, let's talk about your negativity. Help me understand, like, what word would you put on the way you're feeling right now? Are you frustrated? Are you disappointed? Uh, do you feel grief? Is there a sense of loss? Like you didn't get what you wanted, you lost something you had? And helping them process through naming it also calms their mind a little bit in order to get them on the page where they can uh, not only name it, but kind of process with you why they feel that way and what we're going to do going forward. Because I'll tell you, if there's anything in you that just goes, man, why do I have a kid the way I have him? Uh, why did God give me a kid who's like this? Why did this kid turn out this way? Instead of saying, okay, this is a kid I have. This is the way this kid responds. How do I love him in it? Without just saying, please stop being the way that you are. Uh, that is such a harsh discipline tactic. While you may not say those words exactly, that's kind of the way that parents handle this, I think, poorly, which is please stop being you. When you may have a kid that just is really prone to sadness, and while that may not seem like something that God has gifted him with or gifted her with, it may be a, a character trait that doesn't need to be shouted out of them or... Um, uh, or the maybe the worst case scenario would say, go away until this goes away, and then I'll talk to you again. But hey, I want you to feel safe to tell mom and dad why you feel this way, what you're feeling right now, and then help us help you regulate, is the way David Thomas would say. What, what do we do from here? Do you need to go scream? Do you need to go hit something? Do you need to go run around the block? What would, what would cheer you up? And I'll tell you that I think another mistake we make here is that we bribe or um, we threaten in this moment. So you offer ice cream because it'll cheer the kid up. And then what they learn is that their negative emotions are going to get the exact kind of rewards they want, which is, you know, whatever they want. They win if they mope. Or we threaten, and it's only through fear that we get them to stop acting like themselves. And I don't, I think that just drives emotions deep. It doesn't actually help them process them. So mm-hmm. I know that was a longer answer, but that, those are the thoughts that are coming immediately to mind for me. You think the prophets were whiny kids? I think some of them were for sure. You know, I think Jonah they're definitely. They're kind of pessimists. Was. Yeah, yeah, Jeremiah, 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 Jeremiah sure. is known as a crybaby, crybaby prophet, right? Yeah, right, like <laughs> yeah. Just like yeah. they were probably all Eeyore-ish as kids, you know? Yeah, I, I think of Jonah chapter four where like the plant grew up over him and then it dies. Yes. And he's like, I wanted that plant so bad. And God goes, you don't love people, but you love the plant? And Jonah goes, yeah, yeah. that's right. 
<laughs> I love that plant because it gave me shade, and I don't love yeah. the 100,000 people in Nineveh. Yeah. And it, anyway, and God says, why wouldn't I love them? There's so much cattle there. And then the story ends. I just <laughs> yeah. don't get that book. It's so good. Uh, okay. Uh, there's a couple of questions here with this idea in mind, that the spouses are not on the same page, either with like discipline or with spiritual leadership. Questions about getting your husband to lead or questions about getting on the same page when you feel like you're in different places when it comes to this. So what, what's the advice you would give to a couple where mom and dad are not thinking about discipline or spiritual leadership the same way? I say pray. Start yeah. there. Pray. pray by yourself or pray together? I, I was going to say together. To pray for unity in your marriage, um, to pray that, that the Spirit would uh, unify the two of you. Um, pray individually, of course. Seek counsel, yeah. um, professional counselor or home group, close friends, mentors, people who are ahead of you yeah. in parenting to say, uh, talk through this with us. I'll tell you one thing, Adam and I used to go to this counselor that whenever we would express, okay, I see something this way and Adam sees something this way, the counselor would say, okay, Chelsea, what scriptures are guiding your thoughts? And Mm. then he would say, Adam, what scriptures are guiding your thoughts? And it turned out, of course, that both of us were trying to follow God's commands. Both of us were trying uh, to do something that was pleasing to God. And and that helps create some unity and some peace, knowing that we're, we're both trying. We may just see it differently. And uh, I think there's a lot of ways to find a compromise. Yeah. That's I good. think that's great. I was good. Yeah. Wise counsel has been something, I mean, Eric and I are very different and we were raised in very different homes and that has resulted in different ideas and ideals for our kids and goals and expectations. And so we've spent many a nights finding a sitter and going over to some of our most trusted friends or mentors and just kind of fighting in front of them and asking for help and counsel and doing our best to stay on the same team and on the same page in front of our kids and for our kids. Because um, I think that that like, especially as they get older, they start to pick up on the things that we disagree about or the things that Mm -hmm. we're, we're struggling with, and we we want them to know that we're as they get older. We want them to know we are a team and we're a united front, and we do our best. Even if like there will be times I've made a decision without asking Eric or vice versa, and we do our best to just say that's what mom said or that's what dad said, even if we disagree, because we're we're trying to show our kids, hey, we're we're on the same team, and you're not going to undermine one of us by going to the other. That's good. Uh, I want to say too, it, this may go without saying, but I'll say it just in case, any difference between husband and wife where the difference is that one has a sinful response, that sinful response should be repented of. So sure. if the yeah. difference is that uh, dad flies off the handle and strikes and spanks out of anger, and the mom wants to like, let's calm down before we address these things, I would say it's a sin difference needs to be repented of and addressed. It's not just a difference of opinion. It's not just a wisdom and foolishness issue. It's something where a uh, one of you is struggling with something, the other can see it. That's why God put you in a marriage together, that one of you might be able to say, I don't think that's a godly response that we're having right there. Be it in discipline or be it in some of these other questions we have in here about social media if or about dating or about um, content that you are letting your kids watch or celebration of things, any... Anything like that where one of you, I think, has a, uh, unlike what Chelsea was talking about, an answer that is not rooted in the scripture, then yeah, let's let's talk about the difference. Now, somebody asked specifically how to help if your husband is not initiating spiritual leadership in your home. And I I, I will go ahead and take that one. Uh, I think Chelsea and Cassie may have answers for that as well. 
But uh, I also know Chelsea's heart towards making sure that it doesn't sound like, um, hey, these moms are advising these moms on how to initiate something where their husband's supposed to initiate. You know, if the, if the role is to say, how do I help my husband initiate? And you go, well, let's start with the mom. That sounds a little bit um, backwards. So I, I similar to what uh, Chelsea said, I do think you should always pray for your husband if he is not spiritually leading in your home or if he is. Like, let's be praying for him. Because sometimes there is a willful disobedience and a willful ignorance uh, of what uh, the Lord's called you to as a man, and you're just refusing to do it because you have all your reasons. You're too busy. You're too hard at work. You're not uh, as theolo- theologically mature as the next dad down the street. You're you are leaving it up to the church to do it. You're leaving it up to your wife to do it. You always have, uh, men always have the, their reasons, same way women would, of why they don't do what they're supposed to do. And so I think you have to start with praying. If, if the issue is that your husband has a hard heart towards spiritual leadership, there's not much you can do outside of plead with him and plead with the Lord for his heart to change. Because what you don't want is a man doing something out of some kind of um, uh, empty a duty that becomes some kind of hypocrisy your kids see when it comes to spiritual leadership. You'd love genuine heart change that leads to genuine leadership. Now, if your husband is walking with the Lord, if he's a godly man, but he is feeling a lack of either energy or a lack of motivation or just a lack of um, ideas around how to lead spiritually, I would say, man, of course, we've had some great authors on the podcast that have written a lot of books that equip people to do this. Uh, the book that Matt Chandler and I wrote together on family discipleship, the whole idea behind that was that it would help a couple get on the same page with how they are going to disciple their kids. It has questions in it to help you process those things so that by the end of that book, you could say, okay, we know how we're going to do this. We have a plan. We're not just kind of winging it as we go. Much like we do with a, a premarital counseling couple, we're going to ask good questions and try to get on the same page. But I do think it it might start with getting some men in his life who are willing to hold him accountable to things that we very rarely ask each other in accountability situations, things like, how's it going discipling your family? And while we ask a lot about, hey, how's it going, or how's greed or anger or lust, if we could get some men in your husband's life who are willing to say, hey, uh, how's your marriage? How's your spiritual walk with God yourself? What does it look like to lead your kids? I think that would go a long way, but... Uh, I, I do think there's a temptation also to feel like anytime you ask your husband about it, that you must be nagging him to do it, or you must be like uh, interfering with his kind of you know, spiritual leadership in the house. I don't think that's the case. In a marriage, you should feel safe to ask him, hey, this is a change I think I'd love to see in our family. And if you don't feel safe in any marriage, then you need to get help and you need to go find somebody and say, I feel like he's going to fly off the handle or he is not treating me right or whatever. But uh, if you have a marriage that is godly, it is okay to, to ask questions that say, hey, is there anything different about our spiritual life that you'd like to see as a family? How can I help you lead out in those things? What are the things that I can get for you to help you read or study or pursue? Or is there any man that you see doing this well that I can help you get time with or provide time for you to go be with him? Those things are all, I think, helpful. Ladies, anything on that you want to share? I'd say just um, encourage what you do see, um, mm, where you do good. see some leadership, some initiation, or even just a gifting of some kind. Um to be quick to affirm that, not in a, in a sense that uh, we will manipulate our husbands into doing more, but um, I think one of the best ways that wives can help their husbands is through affirmation. And so when you do see yeah. some hint of leadership or discipleship on his part to say, I just love seeing that in you and you're doing amazing. That's good. I want to ask one more big question and then we'll do a couple quick hits and we'll close out this episode. But we got a couple questions that go something like this. One of them is, 
How do you build up a daughter's self-esteem and confidence in a godly way and prepare her to be strong in the Lord in the age of Instagram, influencers, models, etc.? And somebody else also asked, like, how do I navigate my 14-year-old wanting um, Snapchat? So both kind of involve this idea of social media and how they impact a kid, in this, in this case, particularly a daughter's idea of herself. Uh, maybe, Cassie, could you speak to that first? And then I know Chelsea's got some thoughts on this, too. Yeah, I mean, I think start with what Scripture says about who your daughter is, and uh, and kind of go from there, instilling that she was made by a good God, and that she has a purpose for her life, and that she's worthy of affection and dignity, and you know, just kind of starting with who she is in Christ, especially if she's a believer, if she's professed faith. Man, our kids are not teenagers yet, and so I'm just I'm hearing the question, and I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a mom of a teenager and thinking about what what all they're seeing on social media um, and at school and how we really haven't come that far when it comes to what the world sees as beautiful and what the world esteems and yeah. as like encourages girls to feel confidence in. And so Right. What Proverbs would say about beauty and charm is that they're fleeting, right? Right, exactly. So yes. if we try to help our kids say, no, you are beautiful. No, you are charming. We are building their lives on something that is right. fleeting. And if we give them access to a world that that's all that's going to teach them is that the if you can post a picture in which you are beautiful or charming or say a charming word, then you are pursuing something the Bible would call fleeting. And so we're not trying to build, yeah. and this is not to rip the question apart, but self-esteem in our culture means something different to the Christian. We're not trying to build a self-reliance on your own beauty or charm. Right. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to build a confidence around what you have to offer, that you don't worry, you are, if somebody says your daughter's ugly, we, the solution is not to tell her that she's pretty. Yeah. The solution is to say, even if you were ugly, even if you were comparatively ugly to someone, you still have incredible value to You're the right. God, we, to the God we follow. We are not trying to pursue some version where you can compete with the girl next to you and come out on top. And so that's why social media are so dangerous. And so is honestly for the older, yeah. for the young single is the online dating is the same idea. It's built on the city of a, what can I find that is attractive to me and appealing to me? And how do I make myself attractive and appealing? And that's not to say social media or inter- online dating are inherently wrong. But if you're trying to build up a confidence that's rooted in those things, that is very dangerous. Yeah. Chelsea, what do you say to the mom who wants, uh, who's debating Snapchat for their kid? Well, I mean, real quick, I just say no, no, no. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, no, really, there, there's Christian freedom here, like we talk about all the time. Uh, if it was me, I would, I think I'd say, well, well, let's put the Snapchat app on my phone, and anytime you use it, well, you and me will do it together. So what is it that you want to post of yourself, and what is it that you want to see from other people? Great. Ma- Mom will look at it with you, and, Ma- you know, and th- that may temper... Or ruin the whole thing for the kid to the point <laughs> they're like, oh, never mind. But forget it. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, they just feel like no thanks. But um, I, when before I married Adam, I lived with a family that had uh, three daughters, and I watched the mom disciple her daughter through some of this, and it was really powerful to me because um, it's just not what a lot of us saw growing up. But her, her, the mom was just really going to the heart of the daughter of just. What is it that you really want from Snapchat? And they really got to the heart of of uh, the daughter seeking attention, and you know, just seeking to find some worth uh, from some of these things. And of course, we have tons of evidence about how social media is affecting yeah. teen girls, right? So we have some pretty objective data out there to say it is not helping them. 
by and large, um, suicide numbers, anxiety, depression, yeah. uh, self-harm, eating disorders, stuff like that. This is not something that we have cured. Um, this is not something that social media has helped. And if anything, it has hurt. And so um, we've got to get our daughters rooted in their identity being in Christ and their um, lovableness coming from a God who would pay the ultimate price to have a relationship with them. And that, that's, that's, so that's their unshakable worth and value right there, that they were created in the image of God, designed to do good works. And so there are no amount of likes or shares or anything that social media can give them that can add to or take away from the worth that God has given them. Man, I love that. I'm so glad you're my wife. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was great. Well, uh, let me say this. We are... Uh, we are past the time that I was hoping to go here. We have so many more good questions to answer. I see you. Jamie Schweers asked a great question. We don't have time to right now, but we'll start off our December one uh, uh, Q&A with one of her questions. And Sammy Catherine, the Sammy Bremer, the official photographer of the Family Discipleship Podcast, <laughs> gave us a great question. We'll, we'll get to that December. And we have probably another 10, 15 in here that we're not going to get to today that I really want to answer. And so we will have more time in the future. We will get back to this. If you guys have a additional questions, feel free to follow us on Instagram or Facebook and share them there. We are so grateful for your listenership. We love your support. If you want to continue to support us, one of the best ways you can do that, honestly, listeners, other than sending us questions, other than talking with us, visit one of our sponsors. This, this is how we are able to keep doing this podcast. Visit one of our sponsors. And if you would, uh, write a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. I say that at the end of every episode, but listen, there are literally tens of thousands of listeners to this podcast. And I think we have 300 five-star reviews, which means it, no, everybody's turning off this podcast before the end or nobody's doing it. But if you could give us a five-star review wherever you listen to it, it helps the podcast get into the hands of people who are not hearing great information about how to lead their families spiritually from uh, these two women and from our guests. So share this episode with one of your friends, visit one of our sponsors, give us a great review, and then find us on Instagram and Facebook. We absolutely love getting to do this. We love you listeners, and we're looking for what else the Lord has for us this fall. We've got a couple of doozy topics coming up, some of which will address some of the questions we didn't get to today. So we'll see you soon.